my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict Ironjaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That way. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your lycanthropy free host, Josh Baker, cover six new to me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven at the end. This episode includes deadly seances, zombie Vegas, and werewolf boys. Come snuggle up with me in this cryogenic pod. Sure, it's only made for one, but we can all fit and chit-chat about horror movies. Number one, Witch Trap, 1989, directed by Kevin Tenney. Some psychics and a security team go to the estate of the late Avery Lautner to exercise his ghost. A bunch of people die. Avery takes over the body of Whitney, a physical medium that allows him to cross into the world of the living. Tony, the renowned detective on the security team, shoots Avery's boxed heart, which kills him again and saves Whitney. Avery is the killer. Witch Trap isn't a sequel to Witchboard, another movie by Kevin Tenney, but Witch Trap does come between Witchboard and Witchboard 2. So far, I've only seen Witchboard and Witch Trap, and even though it's been years since I've seen Witchboard, I remember it being the better of the two. Witch Trap starts off strong. Right off the bat, a man in a gaudy teal suit is frightened by something in a house to such an extent that he jumps out a second story window to his death. I'd like to say this is the least over the top thing that happens in Witch Trap, but unfortunately it's closer to the most exciting thing that happens. After this action-packed opening, the acting takes center stage. No one in the movie can act. Well... James W. Quinn gives an okay performance as the only speaks in one-liners and snide remarks character Tony, but his performance is only alright in comparison to the other actors in the movie. Kevin Tenney gave himself a role. His performance is the worst in the entire movie. It's so bad, I thought it was setting up to reveal that his character was actually a robot. His character is completely abandoned after getting the team that goes into the house together, so my headcanon, he was a robot or man possessed by Avery or something. Besides Tenny, the other notably bad performance was given by Judy Tatum, who played Whitney's handler. Tatum's delivery is so bad it's funny at first, but it quickly stops being amusing. That's the thing with Witch Trap, it introduces all these people who can barely deliver their lines, You'll think to yourself, wow, this acting is hilarious, but at a certain point, it becomes tiresome. That's likely due to the plot. Barely anything happens in Witch Trap. Sure, a few people die, but a majority of the movie is spent watching characters blabber on about nothing. Linnea Quigley plays a camera operator. Her character is fun, but she's killed right off the bat while taking a shower. If it's a movie with Linnea Quigley in it, Nudity is a given. I can't think of a single horror movie where she doesn't lose her top. 
Her death is a little interesting since she's killed by a showerhead that jams itself into her neck. I'm pretty sure I've never seen someone stabbed to death with a showerhead before. Besides that kill, nothing else original happens. Avery uses ghost powers to make a bullet fly through someone's head, which is so goofy it comes off comedic. A guy is run over. A guy explodes. The guy exploding is kind of fun. The best effects work is when Avery's body melts and falls apart to reveal that Whitney was still alive inside him. The whole gooey, melty skeleton sequence was great. Besides some fun practical effects stuff, it's also a good time watching Tony continuously put down his boss. He's constantly roasting the guy and a lot of the insults are brutal. Tenny's character's name was Devin. At one point in the movie, Whitney looked exactly like Catherine O'Hara in Home Alone. I wanted her to have a vision, then shout, Devin! But that unfortunately doesn't happen. Whitney has a lady that's supposed to be watching her because spirits can use her as a portal, but Whitney is constantly left alone, allowing Avery to use her as a gateway to kill people. It's stupid. You can't leave portal person unsupervised in the ghost house. There's a sequence where Whitney tries to leave the estate so that Avery can't use her to enter the physical world. She drives away and gets to a police station. She opens the front door only to realize her entire escape was an illusion. That was a neat idea. Witch Tramp doesn't have enough bang for its buck. It should have ended with Whitney saying, I need a drink after Avery melted off her. Watch Witchboard or Night of the Demons, another Tenny movie, instead. Number 2, Seance 2021, directed by Simon Barrett. There'll be quite the bit of spoilers in this episode, so if you hear about a movie you want to see, skip ahead a little bit. Spoiler Beard's a little lazy and doesn't want to give you timestamps. Yeah. Thanks, I guess, Spoiler Beard, you're not even really doing your job. Anyways, here's the summary. After a girl named Carrie dies at an all-girls high school, a new student named Camille enrolls. Friends of the girl who died start dropping dead. The killers turn out to be the headmistress's son, Trevor, and a girl in the friend group named Bethany. She had plagiarized one of Carrie's literary works, which ended up winning a big scholarship. So Bethany is in the process of killing everyone, so no one finds out. Camille kills Bethany and Trevor. It turns out Camille isn't who she said she was. She's an old friend of Carrie's that only enrolled for revenge. Bethany and Trevor are the killers. I'm a big fan of Simon Barrett. I like your next and the guest quite a bit. I also like the new Blair Witch movie, ironically. It's basically a hilarious, unintentional parody of the original. I was hyped for Seance. Seance isn't a letdown per se, but it doesn't hold up against Barrett's other original movies. Seance is a bit of a slow burn whodunit. It's played mostly straight. A character dies about every 15 minutes, and none of the deaths before the killer reveal are over the top. A girl is pushed out a window, a girl is made to look like she fell in the shower, a girl goes missing, and a girl has her neck slit. None of this is campy. Then the killers are revealed and the movie goes off the rails. Fake Camille is a battle-ready badass who viciously takes out the killer duo. The climactic part of Seance feels like a completely different movie. This isn't a bad thing, but it's a way more entertaining movie than everything leading up to it. 
The best movies from Barrett have a certain level of camp throughout. Seance's problem is that it's too subdued up until the climax. The kills aren't all that exciting. It's obvious that there are going to be two killers working together, even though there's also an actual ghost in the movie. Trevor, the only dude in the entire thing, is obviously a culprit as soon as he's introduced, and his partner in crime was easily sussed out. Barrett made a Twitter thread that listed 20 different media influences for Seance, and it's surprising that Scream 2 wasn't listed. It seemed like all the theater stuff was a direct homage to Scream 2. Scream is also known for being a whodunit slasher series where there are always two killers working together. The effects work in Seance is solid. Practical effects are used when possible and all the gore looks great. A big issue with the movie is the lighting. A majority of the movie looks washed out and dull due to lighting choices. Another aesthetic issue is the use of a certain lens that distorts what's on the edges of a shot that was used for a lot of the wide shots. It's a weird thing to call out, but it's a big pet peeve of mine. I wish I was a bit more informed about different lenses to better express what exactly I have an issue with, but all my ignorant ass can say right now is, me no like when edges of shot distorted and blurry. I'm assuming it's a lens thing. Something that's great in Seance is the score. It's kind of fairy tale synth meets trap. Sicker Man is listed as the Music Man. Kudos to him. The acting isn't going to win any awards, but most of the cast is fine. Throughout a majority of the movie, I couldn't figure out who Suki Waterhouse reminded me of. Then it hit me. She looks like James Franco. It's uncanny. Seance isn't the camptastic all the way through slasher that the climax shows it could have been, but it's still an enjoyable time. Consider checking it out. I'm still excited to see what Barrett does in the future. Oh no, I just saw on IMDb that Barrett is attached to a remake of I Saw the Devil, which is already an amazing Korean movie that exists. <sighs> Number 3, Army of the Dead 2021, directed by Zack Snyder. Dave Batista is hired to assemble a team for a heist in an overrun by zombies Las Vegas. An obvious backstabber and Dave's dumb as rock's daughter Kate join the team at the last minute. The backstabber joins to backstab and Kate joins to look for someone that might be alive in the zombie zone. Everybody dies because of backstabber and Kate's actions. The backstabber, Kate, Coyote, and zombies are the killers. There's one cool character I call Coyote who shoots a mega creep in the leg and leaves him as a sacrifice for the zombies. Since he was left for dead, I get it, it's the name of a zombie game, I'm putting her on the list even though that dude was the worst. You know what's a cool premise for a movie? A heist that takes place in an overrun by zombies Las Vegas. How could a movie with that premise possibly suck? I don't know. It could be written by Zack Snyder or something. If you're even the slightest bit creative, your mind is probably racing with ideas. A character has to play craps with zombies to distract them. One of the team members is an ex-Vegas magician that has to use illusions to trick the undead. Some goofball character alerts a horde after scoring a jackpot on a slot machine. There's random clicks of survivors. 
we can't enter the flamingo. That's the showgirl territory. All you need to be successful when making a zombie Vegas heist movie is camp, Vegas-isms, and a team with specific skills that has to deal with things that don't go according to plan. How hard is that? Instead, Army of Darkness is Trope City. Backstabber character added to the group that backstabs? That character made the cut. The team even acknowledges that backstabber is going to backstab, then doesn't do anything. You know what character trope I hate even more than backstabber? Dumb, stupid idiot that joins the team and gets people killed. That character is Kate, Dave's estranged daughter who's been working with refugees right outside Vegas. It's pointless to talk about how stupid the whole refugee thing is. Anyway, Kate has a friend named Gita. Gita's a refugee with two kids. Gita goes into Zombie Vegas to try and find some money. Gita tells Kate to take care of her kids if anything happens. Gita doesn't come back, so instead of watching the kids that are probably going to die when Vegas is nuked, that's a whole other thing, Kate goes looking for Gita. Kate actually finds Gita, who's been held captive by the zombies in a hotel room. There's this whole ticking clock thing with the nuke, but no characters have any sense of urgency. Kate's somehow able to find a specific hotel room in a huge Vegas hotel in no time at all without being eaten by zombies. It's stupid. The writing in Army of the Dead is horrendous. Why even have the threat of a nuke dropping soon if none of the characters are going to show any sense of urgency? Backstabber? He was only sent with the team to get alpha zombie blood. The whole heist thing? That was a ruse. It's not like you could pay a bunch of unhappy people with no money to help you get a zombie with some alpha blood. No one would agree to that. Alpha zombie pops up right where the group enters. Coyote takes Backstabber back to the entrance where he cuts off an alpha zombie head. Backstabber then regroups with the heist team. Instead of bailing with the head, what? Why? Why Why wouldn't Zack Snyder? If you've read or heard anyone else talk about this movie, you've probably heard about dead pixels showing up and the horrendous blur caused by the low depth of field the movie was shot in. It sucks. A lot of the stuff looks oddly cheap. Did you know Tignataro was digitally added to the movie? All of her scenes were shot against green screens. Then she was pasted over that sex pervert Chris Delia. That's why everything with Tignataro feels off. They actually did an okay job with such an insane task. How's Backstabber's comeuppance? A cat ate his face. That's a Malcolm in the Middle reference. No one's going to get that. Sometimes I feel like the only person obsessed with Malcolm in the Middle. Anyway, when the heist team first goes into zombie territory, they see a zombie tiger. My fiancé said it was Chekhov's tiger, which I hilariously retorted with, I'm pretty sure it's Siegfried and Roy's. I'm pretty funny. Dumb me aside, zombie tiger throws backstabber around for a really long time, then eats his face. I was personally hoping for a dick chomp, but a face munch is also acceptable, I guess. This brings me to the gore in action. It's fine. Besides the bitten off face and the zombie queen's head splatting after being dropped by the coyote, I can't think of any other creative gore. The 
action's nothing to write home about either. It's all forgettable. The zombie king looked like he was wearing Jinko jeans. That's an important observation. The cheesy stuff between Dave and Kate is groan-inducingly stupid and a waste of time. Kate's entire character in the whole refugee camp could have been cut out of the movie. Remember Gita from earlier? She doesn't even survive. She dies at the end. Nice job, Kate. Now Gita and her kids are dead. And your dad. And Tignataro. And everyone else that went into Zombie Vegas. The only survivor is Kate. Another dude survives, but he's been bitten since Zack wants to milk this. There is no reason for this movie to be two and a half hours long. I have to hand it to Zack Snyder. I didn't think it was possible to make a movie about a zombie Vegas heist boring. The man's got a gift. How come he's the one that keeps getting big projects? The last decent thing he did was Watchmen, if I'm being generous. Some people get all the fail-up luck. Army of the Dead is a stupid movie. If you have Netflix, you might as well check it out. It has some fun stuff in it, but it's chock full of some of the worst writing you'll ever witness. You'll be calling all the beats hours before they happen. I will say the opening sequence where ordinary people were shown evolving into battle-hardened zombie fighters was neat. I could complain about stupid things that happen in the movie. Like, the safe cracker not closing himself in the safe with the dude he was saving by locking him in until the cows come home. But plot dumb is sufficient. If you want a horror movie in Vegas, check out Leprechaun 3 instead. Number 4, Oxygen 2021, directed by Alexander Aja. A woman wakes up inside a cryogenic pod earlier than planned. Eventually, she figures out that she's a clone on a spaceship headed to an Earth-like planet. A space accident and a virus are the killers. The clone space mission is in response to a virus that is killing people on Earth. The main character, Clone Liz's pod, was damaged by whatever accident happened in space. That accident killed some of the other clones. I like Aja. I guess it's weird that I like his stuff. I think high tension until the horrendous nonsensical twist is great. Mears is unintentionally hilarious. Huh, this is sounding like something I said a little bit ago. I actually saw the Horns movie with Daniel Radcliffe. I don't really remember it, but think it was kind of enjoyable. I didn't like the original and the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. And Crawl was fun, though not great. Oxygen is a solid movie. It might even be Aja's best. Which is kind of crazy to say since the entire thing takes place in a cryogenic pod. Given that Oxygen is really about one person trying to survive after waking up early in a cryopod, a lot was put on the lead actor, Melanie Laurent's shoulders. She does a fantastic job as Clone Liz. Her performance is captivating and powerful. It's crazy to think that originally Anne Hathaway was going to play the character, and then it was going to be Numi Rapace. I'm glad they went with Melanie Laurent. The CGI used for the pod's interface is neat. The pod itself appears to be mostly practical and looks good. 
The score is a teensy bit heavy in parts, but overall is strong. It sounded similar to Gretel and Hansel, and wouldn't you know it, Oxygen has the same composer, Rob. You're doing great work, Rob. The big twist in Oxygen is the fact that the person in the pod is a clone. This was an interesting reveal. At one point in the movie, Clone Liz is talking to older original Liz. I wonder if I'd recognize old me's voice. I listen to my dumb self talk all the time, so it's possible I'd think, hmm, this geezer sounds familiar. Since original Liz is older now, there are some shots of old Liz. The effects done to age Laurent are terrible. Speaking of bad effects work, the makeup effects done for people suffering from the virus also look incredibly off. There's a bit of CGI gore when Clone Liz asks to see what's outside of her pod. She sees some dead clones that look pretty bad. I'm not sure if the effects for the aging, virus, and gore were rushed, but they look completely out of place with the polished aesthetic of the rest of the movie. Oxygen requires you to completely suspend your disbelief. Clone Liz is able to figure out what's going on and deal with her situation with the help of a computer helper named Milo. In the beginning of the movie, Milo isn't able to do much at all to help Liz. He has certain abilities, but he can't do regular outbound calls or anything. Until later in the movie when he's able to start calling people all willy-nilly. His evolution from, I'm sorry, I can't do that, to... Yeah, dude, I can do pretty much anything you ask is a bit weird. He doesn't really sound like your stereotypical robot. I just decided to do that. Luckily, Oxygen is captivating enough to stop you from dwelling on Milo's capabilities. Another thing you just have to accept is that Clone Liz is a master of finding and putting needles into veins. She tears out multiple IVs that need to be reinserted and is able to do this flawlessly even when one of the IVs was in her foot which she can barely even see. The whole I need to rip out all the IVs because Milo is trying to euthanize me then I need to put them back in thing could have been removed. It's a bit silly. The way memories are cut into the movie took a while to get used to. At first, the cutting back and forth from random memories was jarring and didn't fit with what was happening. Overall, Oxygen is a captivating journey of a clone in a cryopod. It's worth checking out. If you have an interest in movies about people trapped in small locations, I also recommend checking out a movie called 4x4, where a thief ends up locked in a 4x4. Number 5, Life Force, 1985, directed by Toby Hooper. On a space mission to examine Haley's Comet, a strange ship with three humanoids is found. The humanoids are taken back to the main ship. The ship doesn't return to Earth as planned, so another ship is sent to investigate. The crew appears to be dead, but the humanoids are fine. The humanoids are taken to Earth. The aliens escape and start to suck the life out of people, which turns their victims into a zombie-like state. The escape pod from the original ship lands on Earth with one survivor, Colonel Carlson. 
London is in a state of emergency due to the overwhelming amount of zombies. Carlson and Kane, a special agent, work together to locate the aliens and destroy them. It turns out everything was put into motion by Carlson. He banged one of the aliens. Kane is able to kill the aliens and save the day. The vampire aliens and Carlson's inability to keep it in his pants are the killers. Life Force is basically a movie about how man's horniness will be the death of us all. On the original space mission, three humanoid aliens are found. One lady, two dudes. Everyone is nude. There aren't only dude astronauts on the mission, there are also lady astronauts. Thing is, none of the lady astronauts get so horny for the aliens that their life force is drained. None of the lady astronauts try to bang one of the aliens. It's these dang horny dude astronauts that got the human race in trouble. Just because you saw Captain Kirk being promiscuous with aliens doesn't mean it's okay. The lady alien is even able to escape a high security compound solely because she has a bang and bod and no woman security personnel were on duty at the time. All the men that should have stopped the alien just gawked at her and let her leisurely walk out of captivity. The main person in the movie that needs to be arrested and sent to horny jail is Carlson. Carlson is the one who decided he was going to go all the way with the alien. He wasn't cool with only getting life sucked. He needed to get as intimate with the alien as possible without knowing anything about it. Carlson is the only survivor of the original crew, and it's obvious he's been compromised by the alien. It's weird that Kane allows Carlson to work with him. There's this wacky sequence where the alien ends up in Patrick Stewart, who's playing an asylum doctor. Kane, Carlson, and some other guys start drugging Dr. Picard and asking for more drugs, and an orderly at the asylum just follows their orders. Maybe the orderly doesn't like the doctor, but even if I had a boss I hated, I'd find it hard to just allow some random people to torture him. There's a lot of alien kisses in the movie. The aliens kiss people to suck out their life force, and the people that were kissed turn into husks of themselves that have to kiss someone else to get more life force, and the process of soul-sucking has to happen once every two hours. Why am I bringing this up? To confirm that Carlson does in fact make out with Captain Jean-Luc Picard. This isn't even done for soul-sucking purposes, but it is something that happens in Life Force. Another thing that's a bit baffling is the fact that Toby Hooper was chosen to direct Life Force. Life Force is a big budget sci-fi movie. What producer was thinking to themselves, you know what, let's get that low budget chainsaw slasher movie guy. I don't think Hooper did a bad job or anything, he was just a strange choice. Life Force is full of great practical effects work. There's an amazing alien spaceship that looks perfectly space vampiric. It was allegedly modeled off an apricot. In the ship, there are a bunch of dead bat monsters that look good. I wish there was a little more on-screen living bat creatures, but the one that is shown looks stellar. Oodles of people were put into husk zombie makeup, and animatronic husk zombies were also used. The animatronics are a delight to look at. The aliens have spiral eyes, which were a simple but cool touch that gave them a nice inhuman vibe. 
The lady alien, played by Matilda May, must not have spent much time in wardrobe, since she's completely naked for 90% of her scenes. She had to speak most of her lines phonetically, since she didn't really speak English. She's French. My biggest gripe with Life Force is having London be the main location. The way it's presented is bland and lacks personality. Some interesting set pieces should have been added in the last third of the film to spice things up. Most of the acting is solid, but Steve Railsback does get a little too hamtastic as Carlson at times during his Nick Cage-esque freakouts. Life Force is an enjoyable movie about men who can't keep it in their pants when dealing with a sexy space vampire. It drags here and there, but includes enough fun to warrant a soft recommendation. Number 6, Blood Moon, 2021, directed by Emma Tammy. Esme has a son named Luna who's a werewolf. Esme is an incompetent werewolf handler. Her husband was also a werewolf who she killed in self-defense since he wasn't locked up correctly during a full moon. Esme is also a terrible mother to Luna. Esme ends up killing a local man who finds Luna's cage in her basement. The police come looking for the man and Esme shoots at them so they arrest her. Luna turns into a werewolf and kills all the cops. Luna doesn't attack his mom in werewolf form. A man Esme befriended in the town helps her and Luna escape. Esme and Luna are the killers. Hulark is back. This might be the last installment of Hulu Into the Dark, but at least we got Blood Moon. Like pretty much every other Hulark movie, Blood Moon is stupid and bad. If you look at the technical aspects, it's fine. The acting isn't terrible. The biggest issue with Blood Moon is the writing. There's a lot of werewolf media. There are shows and movies where people with lycanthropy are contained during full moons so they don't hurt anyone. Blood Moon is about Esme's struggles to restrain and feed Luna during full moons. Wait, what? What do you mean feed? Well, you, you have to feed a werewolf, right? You have to kill cows to feed to your werewolf boy. Fun fact, you don't actually have to feed your werewolf kid when they are in werewolf form. Blood Moon even proves this. After a night of cow eating as a werewolf, Luna is asked if he'd like some breakfast. Luna responds saying he's full. Oh, you're still full from werewolf time? Maybe we should just stuff you with macaroni and cheese pre-transformation to satiate your hunger instead of killing someone's livestock. Eventually, Esme realizes she can just buy meat and feed it to Werewolf Luna. She buys the meat early and then leaves it in the basement. Just the basement, not a fridge in the basement. This causes a horrible stench, which is the reason why the local man checks out the basement. We need man to enter basement. How do? Uh, Esme left stinky meat down there. Why wouldn't she leave that in the fridge? Uh... We need man to enter basement. Okay, fine. How does the man get in the house? Uh, Luna opens the door and lets him in. Wasn't Luna told multiple times throughout the movie not to answer the door and let people in? Uh, but man needs to enter house. Okay. Well, where's Esme? She's napping. She's napping? Yeah. 
How does she not wake up instantly when Luna is screaming for her? Uh, she's just really tired today. Are you going to show her staying up late or becoming exhausted from working the night before? No, she's just super tired. Okay, fine. Well, all the local man saw was a weird cage and meat basement. Does Esme try to explain the situation? Mm, no. Straight to murder. No other option. <sighs> okay, the, the police show up at the house. Does Esme ask if they have a warrant? No, she just kind of shoots at them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Blood Moon is filled with frustrating things that only happen the way they do to move the plot forward. Esme doesn't think logically at all. Maybe if she was presented as a really stupid character, her completely illogical decisions would make some sense. But the movie shows you that she's actually super smart. Esme is terrible to her son. She doesn't let him be normal even when it's not a full moon. The movie would have been way better if it ended with Luna eating her. Oh, and Luna's werewolf form? He just looks like a regular wolf. That's it. Not even a large wolf. Just a normal one. There's not even a transformation sequence. So this regular wolf boy was able to kill a whole sheriff's station without getting shot one time? Uh, Josh, you can only kill a werewolf with silver bullets. Cops don't have silver bullets. I mean, I know that, but Blood Moon doesn't. Esme killed Wolf Husband with a shotgun. I know in my heart she didn't shoot silver pellets into him. It's like the makers of Blood Moon know absolutely nothing about werewolves. Why didn't Esme have shackles for emergencies? I guess since they went with the regular wolf form, shackles might not have worked. Why didn't Esme take the tranquilizer she had that was prominently shown but never used when she had to go scoop up Luna from a birthday party he snuck out to on full moon day? While I'm ranting, the score is also repetitive and bad. It's a looped, sad acoustic song. Blood Moon is overflowing with baffling decisions. It's a strong contender for the worst piece of werewolf media I've ever seen. Blood Moon is a mediocre movie and a terrible werewolf movie. Don't bother with this one. Blood Moon is so bad, and it isn't even close to being the worst Tulark movie. This series... Number 7, Star Kid, 1997, directed by Manny Koto. A kid finds an alien cybersuit and saves the Earth. This is Section 7, baby, so you know it's going to be nonsense. I recently wanted to watch the movie The Giver, which stars Mark Hamill and is directed by Screaming Mad George, but was having a hard time finding it. The Giver's plot sounded similar to a movie I used to love as a kid called Star Kid. So I decided to revisit the movie about the Star Kid. There's some weird stuff in Star Kid that I didn't pick up on or remember from my time watching it when I was younger. Spencer, who finds the cyber suit, is bullied by a kid named Turbo. So he goes to mess with Turbo once he has the suit. After he scares Turbo, Spencer tells the suit something along the lines of, Who should we abuse next? Spencer uses the word abuse so he knows what he's doing is evil. Later on in the movie, Spencer has to pee but can't exit the suit. He shows up to one of his teacher's houses, gets her to open the crotch of the suit, then relieves himself. Upon walking out of the bathroom, he says, That was special. 
What the hell is that supposed to mean, Spencer, you messed up little pervert? What I'm getting at is the fact that Spencer says a lot of weird things. He doesn't really have your usual likable protagonist energy. He's more of a dweeby creep. Even as an adult, there are things to enjoy in Starkid. The practical effects for the cybersuit and all the aliens are out of this world. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far, but Starkid is very heavily inspired by tokusatsu, which is basically Japanese media that makes heavy use of special effects. The cybersuit's outside design is a bit lame. It looks like a silver man with the baby head. The inside of the suit is weird and gross in a fun way. The inside face reminded me a lot of Christopher Lloyd's Uncle Fester. It's a, it's a weird resemblance for sure. Consider getting drunk and watching Star Kid. I'll track down a way to watch the Giver soon. That's a wrap on Blank is the Killer 98, Deadly Seances, Zombie Vegas, and Werewolf Boys. If you liked what you heard, consider leaving a rating review on iTunes. Episode 99 will be out on June 13th. Until then, make sure not to make out with any space vampires, no matter how sexy they are.